Have you been told you're intolerant? Or have you watched news reports and seen different things come out and like, wow, I, th I think that they would think I was intolerant if I were to ever speak up. But tolerance means that I disagree with you, but I will respect you. I'll still treat you with respect. Uh, we can agree to disagree. Uh, I'll hear you out. And even if I disagree, we can live in the same community together. That sounds civil, right? Uh, I'll put up with you. You put up with me. And, and it's by definition that when you tolerate something or someone, you put up with the differences for the cause of a greater goal. You tolerate a business partner's quirks so that you can accomplish the greater goal. Uh, tolerance is reserved for something or someone we think is, is doing something wrong, right? So even if you say now, you know, I respect your view, but I still think it's wrong. Uh, you're labeled as intolerant or worse. Perhaps you've noticed that. Perhaps you've felt it. Tolerance is one of those words that, uh, among many others, is being redefined right, right under our noses. We used to tolerate all people but not tolerate all behaviors. And now things have been turned upside down and, and in a circle. Uh, tolerance was a, a hallmark of a liberal society, you know, small l liberal, where, where we allow for variance in the marketplace of ideas. But that train ha has left the station. Uh, but we, we don't have to give up, though. We actually have something better. That's right. Tolerance isn't even the best platform for a way of life together. I'll put up with you. <laughs> That's it. What the Spirit did when he came on the first followers of Jesus was to unite them in such a way that the foundation of the community was love. Agape, love, this, this love that just is effusive and overflowing. In fact, they were so overflowing with love that their life together was a spectacle of unity. The people around said, what is this thing going on? And this passage we'll look at today is a summary of the life of the early Christians in Jerusalem. Now, all sorts of ethnicities and socioeconomic backgrounds from all over the world came together and they were united in their trust that Jesus was Messiah. That means an expected conquering revolutionary king who would rule them all. And as they were empowered by the Spirit, and that's not a small part of it. Empowered by the Spirit, they made a huge splash in Jerusalem. And I want you to listen for the four ideal marks of a community of Jesus people as it's displayed in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. Uh, as I read it, I'm pretty sure it'll explain itself, but, but I'll come back and we'll, we'll walk through it uh, together. We'll look at verse 41 here. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. 
So it became this picture of beauty and ideal community uh, em empowered by the Spirit. And so there's, there are four marks there. You probably saw it. There devotion to the teaching of the apostles, um, to a fellowship, that common life together, to the breaking of bread and to prayers, and, uh, and then a compassionate healing response to the community that flowed out of that. So the first thing, uh, they gave all this full attention to the teaching of the apostles. Um, it's, it's, it's said again uh, in, in the lines below in verse 44, and all who believed were together. This is the first time they're called really believers, right? So they're, they're hearing the apostles' testimony and teaching and they're believing at the same time. So think about what they were teaching. What were the apostles teaching? Well, they're certainly teaching from the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. The New Testament was being written, right? So they were teaching from the past, but just like Jesus had opened their eyes to the scriptures, when he walked with them and, and ate bread with them as, um, as the disciples gathered together and wondered what to do next, Jesus connected the dots. He he showed that he was completing the story, that he was launching this new creation movement, this kingdom of God movement. And it was, it was all coming together for them. And so, so they began to teach this and connect the dots. We saw that Peter is going back to the Old Testament, back to the Hebrew scriptures and, and finding these tie-ins. And, and so they began to explain that and, and that built a robust life. But it wasn't just, oh, I learned more things. It, full attention or devotion to the teaching of the apostles looks like, okay, so then Jesus really is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and so I must give my allegiance to him. And, and so that means that there's a whole new world that's taking shape, and, and I'm a part of this brand new world, and, and God's shown us a new way to be human, and he's writing the, the, the law on our hearts so that we can respond to him. There's, just, there's a whole lot. I mean, if you apply the scriptures with Jesus as your lens, with Jesus as king, he's on the throne. Um, it changes everything about your life. Oh, Lord, change, change our lives, right? So that's the first thing. They gave full attention to the teaching of the apostles. To expand on that, I'd have to teach you the whole Bible. So we're just going to, we're going to kind of set that one aside right now and just say that's super important. Full attention or devotion to the teaching of the apostles looks like allegiance to King Jesus. Right. And then it says um, they were they were devoted to fellowship or the common life. Uh, the verses below kind of explain that. It says they had all things in common. They sold their possessions and belongings and divided them up to everyone in proportion to their various needs. That's pretty amazing. So you think about what what they, must they have believed about the scriptures to have lived in that way? Like, what do you have to believe to be like, oh, sure, what's. What's mine is yours, and let's let's just share this life together. What do you have to believe? Well, first, that Jesus is the Messiah that completes the story of Israel. Like He really is the central uh, point of the whole story of my life. And so I look to Jesus as king, right, of the legions. But they also must believe that the Spirit is drawing them together as the new people of God, forming a new politic, a new community, the kingdom of of God. And you must, you must, they must have believed that the Father is abundantly generous and that we can risk our own generosity. We can, because God is generous, we can just pour out our generosity. 
That's, isn't that interesting? So this must have been a, a tectonic shift, like radical shift. And it would be now as well, wouldn't it? If we lived in that way, um, the first shift would be toward unity. Wow. And love. And, and when the Spirit leads us toward unity around Jesus the Messiah and love by his Spirit, then we start to look and see a need. And it comes really naturally. You might say it's supernaturally, but if, if you're indwelt by the Spirit, it becomes natural, doesn't it? Like, well, of course, start with me. I'll, I'll give. Um, it's, it's the kind of love that starts with Jesus, who did not hold on to his own life, but gave his life for us. It's not like the, uh, the, the Pharisees taught um, the, the religious r rulers and leaders in synagogues and in towns would teach, you know, you've got to tithe, you know, you've got to, you've got to give 10% of, of this and 10% of that and, and offer it in this way and, and just these little exacting measures, right? Uh, one for you and one for me and one for God. And it's not exacting like that. It's actually a, a hilarious giving. It's a, hey, mi casa es tu casa. <laughs> Come on in. This, what's mine is yours. Um, this is awesome. It's a, it's a shared life. It's the kingdom ethic, isn't it? If you look at how Jesus taught his disciples to live in the kingdom of God, he, he talked about mourning with those who mourn, rejoicing with those who rejoice, sharing in the joys and the pains, the ups and the downs, the, the losses and the successes, and we share that together. In fact, Jesus actually described his work in terms of release of debt, upheaval of systems, healing and transformation. Now, let me take you back to Luke. Now, Luke, of course, is the author of Acts, um, so it's kind of fun to see these parallels here. Let's take you back to Luke chapter 4. 16 to 18. And this is where Jesus has just come from the test in the wilderness where the, the enemy just offered him like, hey, if you'll bow down to me and if you'll, if you'll um, you know, follow my directions, I can just give you the world. And Jesus says, no, I'm owed the world, but I have to do it in this other way, right? And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. That's up in the upper regions outside of the cities. And a report about him went out throughout the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all the eyes, <laughs> all the eyes uh, in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. It was a mic drop situation, wasn't it? He reads the scroll, says, This is what I'm about. Right? And he's reading from 
Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, which I'll leave to you to read and kind of backfill in the Hebrew scriptures there. But it's the day of the Lord's favor, the day of, of jubilee. Now, jubilee is an interesting word, but what it was, was, was a time when all debts would be released. So if you owed money, if you owed land, um, if you had to sell your land, whatever the situation was, all debts were released at the end of that 50-year period. Um, there's no evidence that the Jewish people actually did this regularly, but Jesus comes and says, it's on right now. His whole life and ministry was, was toward freedom of uh, captives and, and, and sharing and, and healing and transformation and upheaval of systems. Because he's going back to the true belief about who God is, that God is an abundant, generous creator God. You know, in, in Eden, in the original garden, the fruit was just hanging on the trees, right? God's divine provision. There's, when we're together, there's no scarcity mindset. We have abundance. And in a new creation colony, these little outposts of heaven, we get to trust in the provision of the Father. Together, as a church, we get to do that. Now, this is the caveat. Some have actually looked at this passage and seen it as supporting socialism or communism. And say, see, Jesus was a socialist. Jesus was a communist. You've probably seen that as a meme on the internet or a conversation with a friend. But that's actually absurd. Um, this, was, this was a voluntary giving of private property. So think about that. It's voluntary, and it was private property, <laughs> and there was no obligation. It was not mandated by a state. There wasn't a structure requiring it at all. If you look later in Acts chapter 4, which we'll get a chance to touch on um, in the weeks to come, you'll see that there was no obligation. No, just if, if you want to give, that's, that's lovely, because the Spirit has been, been doing that. There, it wasn't also even a pattern for all of the churches. It's not like, okay, so this is what you do in every church, in every town. There's no pattern there for the rest of the churches in the book of Acts. The Spirit has empowered this generosity and this care for the poor as family, right? Give us today our daily bread for us to share. Willie James Jennings says, what was at stake here was not the just giving up of all possessions, but the giving up of, of each one, one by one, as the Spirit gave direction. Hey, uh, do you really need that boat? You should liquidate that. Use it for kingdom purposes. Hey, do you really need that RV? Why don't you liquidate that and use that for kingdom purposes? Do you really need that extra house? Do you really need this, that extra land? Are you really going to build it on it or not? And so can you sell that and use it for the good? But the Spirit directs that. And so when that happens, you just give out of joy and beauty. Uh, the ministry of Jesus makes a demand and you say, yes, of course. Now, if you'll allow, I would, I'll, I'll, I'll speak a little more on progressive socialist politics uh, with the goal to bring down all powers. He's a landowner, bring him down. He's a, you know, he's a, he's a CEO, bring him down. That whole, my, if you'll let me, I'll, I'll talk into that just in a, in a bit. Uh, but the third thing that we see, we see the apostles' teaching, uh, we see the common life or the fellowship, and then we'll maybe combine the breaking of bread and the prayers. And because it says day by day, they were all together attending the temple. Isn't that interesting? They were the temple. The Spirit of God had, had filled them. The, the glory had come upon them. They were the temple, but, but it's also just their culture. So they went to hang out where everybody hangs out, and they were involved in the ritual prayers. 
Why not? They're, it's not that they've abandoned Judaism. It's that Jesus has completed Judaism. So they go to the temple and they, they're there daily. And then they says they break bread in, in their various houses, ate food with glad and sincere hearts, right? So that's the, the picture there. And we see two things, well, certainly breaking bread like we'll do um, in communion, uh, where we acknowledge God's um, gift to us in Christ and the new covenant in the blood. Um, so there's that, but also just shared life and shared food. So those that were poor didn't go hungry because they were eating food together. Isn't that lovely? There was this distinct togetherness this unity of people who were very diverse, a, a fellowship of different type people. And Luke is, is just pounding this drum. He couldn't be clearer in saying it's about the Spirit's presence and the Spirit's power that gives the ability to, to, to live in this community with, with a generosity that pours out like Jesus, the one who gave up his life for us. This is, this is coming from the Spirit. There's one other thing that says, Great awe fell on everyone, and many remarkable deeds, wonders, and signs were performed by the apostles. These aren't magic tricks. In fact, next week we'll look at one of those examples in chapter 3. These are, these are displays of healing compassion. That resulted in the praise of God and standing in favor um, with, with all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being rescued, being saved. That's the beauty of the picture. And, and, and Luke is painting this ideal picture of the Jerusalem church uh, from the stories that he had gathered. This is a summary passage that kind of says that's what was going on in Jerusalem. And, and the idea here, like I've said, is that the, the life of the church was a spectacle in the community. Wow. They couldn't avoid the subject of Jesus because of the activity of the church. So I want us to think about what's, what's our story now? How do we become a spectacle? Because this is the truth. Um, I, I mentioned, you know, progressive politics and things like that. That, that has become a new religion Politics has become a religion, and there's a, there's a fervor about it, isn't there? So I don't want to speak in terms of politics. I want to speak in terms of religion and the story, because, because we are all story-driven, meaning-seeking people. And the new religion in the West is this theory of this is what justice means, and this is what power structures mean. So who has the power how do we remove it? Uh, who doesn't have the power? And how do we give it? And Jesus was all about upheaval of systems as well. And so, so we've, got a, we've got a different picture, a different religious picture today. And it's not about love and tolerance. It's about hatred, divisiveness, and power. So there's no unity there. It's about really divisiveness. And so I think if we just could go back to basics a little bit, what caused the early church to grow and show the message of the kingdom of God, to grow the kingdom of God and show the message? And what kind of spectacles can the Spirit provide now? And I just, there's three spectacles I want to focus on. And, and the one is the spectacle of unity. And the spectacle of unity. 
Um, this, is, this is their shared life uh, because of the Spirit. Um, and by all accounts, the, the life together was diverse and inclusive. Absolutely. Like you come here. We're going to come under the apostles' teaching. True. We're going to align ourselves with the word of God. Yes. But anybody can come. And it doesn't matter what color. I mean, color wasn't a, as big of a deal back then um, as our modern race theories have made it now. But, but eth whatever ethnicity and wherever, wherever you're from, we're going to figure this out together. So the Spirit has formed these communities from initially Jews, right, Jewish people, from a variety of cultural, ethnic, social, uh, even language backgrounds, right? We saw that. And this is going to continue on to the point where in the second half of the book of Acts, we actually see non-Jewish people actually included as well. Well, that's going to be a difficult situation. And in fact, the entire New Testament seems to be addressing how do we get this unity back. And so this new religion that's out there right now is, is competing and even dwarfing Christianity. Um, and it's, it's a goal. The goal is unity as well. So there's two competing ideas of how unity is going to take place. And it goes under the what's a delightful name of, of progress. Who doesn't want that? Let's, let's go toward progress. But the march toward progress, um, the, the kingdom without a king has one obstacle in its way, and that's you and I and people that believe in the Bible and, and follow Jesus. You and I are in the way. And there's this quest out there that's for a unifying principle, a story that will, will bind us together. And what we need to do, says the culture, is to push aside those who don't agree, not tolerate, exclude. And, and so the godless utopian quest for unity is going to be another disaster. I mean, it's going to be. We looked at that Tower of Babel idea, like we're going to unite. We're going to have one focus, one purpose. God's going to be at our beck and call, and God destroys that. So a godless utopian quest for unity is going to be headed for disaster. And and the progressive politics, that idea of, of this religious fervor to push aside everything else and just exalt um, the human self um, is, is becoming a, a foe of Christianity, clearly. And even, even good-hearted liberals are being shoved aside with, along with the traditionalists, you know? The people who are just like, hey, I thought we were supposed to just get along and, and I disagree with you. Like, no, not anymore. But this is the thing. As we pursue unity under Jesus... Uh, it's it's jaw-dropping and awe-producing because what, what happens is it comes out of a, a true, genuine love and empowerment to not just tolerate, but to, to pour out a love for another person. I love what Scott McKnight says. He says, the most political thing you and I as followers of Jesus can do, the most political thing we as kingdom citizens can do, the most political thing that we as the church of King Jesus can do is gather together in order to do the things the church is called to do. Gather around the apostles' teaching. Share in that common life together. The breaking of bread, eating together, and the Lord's Supper together, and the prayers. Like, pull that together. That's the, that's the spectacle that's going to, to shape the world. Uh, we are going to receive uh, much 
more um, uh, persecution because of that stance. But I think people will say, well, that's the real deal. Uh, which leads me to the next spectacle. It's the spectacle of forgiveness. In this new religion, the march toward progress, the bar is set so high and it continues to increase that you cannot be forgiven. Shame on you for dot, 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 with no plan for forgiveness. You, you can't be forgiven. Perhaps you know this about uh, one of the Caesars, uh, Caligula, uh, Gaius Caesar Germanicus, but he was, he was called Caligula, uh, the mad emperor of Rome. Do you, do you remember some stories about him? He really enjoyed watching other people suffer. And so this is what he would do. He would have new laws written in tiny letters and hang them up really high so people couldn't even read them. And then he would punish them because he could. And I want you to think back with me through these, these growing years of cancel culture. New laws <laughs> written so high that you don't even know what they are and then you get punished for them. Maybe you're finding this in your workplace as well. Uh, spirit, help us, right? But there's no room for forgiveness in this. The, the thing is that the ink on the new rules of this progressive society hasn't even dried before the new ones are being written. And so this is the deal. You're constantly at fault and supposed to feel the shame and the guilt of society. There is no plan for forgiveness. If you mess up, it's over for you. New laws, tiny letters, way up high out of sight. And what matters clearly is not how you even behave, but what seat you sit in. You need to be removed, right? You're out because you, um, you grew up in this area. You had those kind of parents, so you get out. But listen, church, Jesus has a better way. And we can live that better way. Because forgiveness is always going to be necessary. And we can always show forgiveness, even to those who terrorize us. Because Jesus has shown us a new way to be human together. Think about the forgiveness of Jesus. If, if Jesus has dealt with evil on the cross, and he forgives us our sins, who are we to hold on to our grievances? Even for those who would say, you're intolerant, you're bigoted, whatever, and they try to push you aside. Do you have love for them? This is actually what the church does best. We live in a household called forgiveness. We pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And the follow-up there, Jesus said, if you don't forgive them, you, you won't be forgiven either. But when people see actual forgiveness, it's one of the highest virtues. People just lose their mind when they actually see it. Love, uh, love your enemy sets us up for this grand display of God's forgiveness. Now, you, you remember this. Six years ago, uh, relatives of, of people uh, that were killed inside a historic African-American church in Charleston, South Carolina, AME Church, um, were, were able to speak to the accused gunman uh, during his court appearance. And so... Um, one after the other, the Washington Post reports, you know, one after the other, those who chose to speak at the bond hearing didn't turn to anger. They weren't going for that. Instead, the, 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 the accused just stood there like this, and they offered him forgiveness. They like, I would never talk to her ever again. I would never be able to hold her again. 
but I forgive you. You hurt me. You hurt a lot of people. But God forgive you. And I forgive you. We welcome you Wednesday night in our Bible study with open arms. You have killed some of the most beautifulest people that I know. Every fiber in my body hurts. And, and I'll never be the same. We say in a Bible study, we enjoyed you. But may God have mercy on you. Because he was in the Bible study and then he shot them at the end of it. See, we welcome you. We, in fact, we would welcome you to come back to our Bible study. We, we want Jesus' best for you. May God have mercy on your soul. I think that broke the heart of a lot of people that day. So the spectacle of unity, but also the spectacle of forgiveness is something that, that God can produce in us, and it can just flow out into our community. The last little spectacle is the spectacle of compassion. A, a, a true compassion. And I'm not certain that all of the things we call compassion really are born out of, out of love. But we know that the Spirit empowers compassion and transforms lives. Some of the activity I see in our cities and counties, and, and even from myself, doesn't come from like love. And, and, and it's not the kind of compassion that really leaves the other person better off. Do you recognize that in yourself too? You recognize that maybe in some of our county policies, city policies, um, like, well, I think we're just trying to push people away and get them off our back. You know, more like an idea of like, if I give you 20 bucks, will you leave me alone, right? Not a love that's like, I want the best for you and, and a sense of compassion and justice. But, but this is the deal. Just because the Marxists are getting in on the idea of their new religion, uh, their idea, the, the idea of justice, doesn't mean we stop talking about justice. Just because you're not a social justice warrior doesn't mean you can't believe in a God of justice who cares about the poor and wants freedom and, and healing for the blind and, and freedom for the captives. Of, of course, right? We don't stop talking about justice just because someone has tried to co-opt the word. We don't stop being tolerant just because they've changed the definition. God started the conversation about justice and he's going to finish it too. Amen? Right? He started the conversation. He's going to finish it. Justice is God's idea. And so we need to just continue to define our terms and move ahead with compassion, humility. And then when we get dinged, and our church I'm sure is going to get dinged for it, we will respond with forgiveness. Because see, we're not supposed to go down the same road with just kind of mindless compassion and just do-gooderness. No, no, no. We're supposed to flow out of love. I love what Jay Kim says, he says, the church was never meant to be a derivative of the cultural moment, but a disruption of it. So we don't have to believe the other story. We can believe the story of Jesus, the Messiah, empowered by his spirit, a generous God, and we can live that out together. Scott McKnight says, credible living makes for credible witness. A witness to the truth of the gospel. So when Christians love their neighbors, they, they offer the most credible element of the gospel. And love spreads the very essence of God's mission. His mission is to dwell with us in love. And for us to dwell with God and with one another in love. And so 
to love is to spread who God is. And the church has got a lot of love to offer, right? A lot of love. And so, so when, when we're called into this work of compassion, we want to leave the other person better off. And so we'd better mention Jesus, the king, because, because we're not talking about a kingdom without a king. And that's what society wants right now. We want this utopian society where we all just get along and, and we, we equally playing field and all these kind of things, but they don't want Jesus as king. So we've got to make sure we announce Jesus as king because he has a better way. He he, is a, he has a better way for us to be humans. And, and he's shown us the new way that we can be human together. And if you'll allow for it, the Spirit can do better than just the tolerance of other believers and the tolerance for those with whom you disagree. He means to overflow in our hearts and put on a display for the world of unity, and forgiveness, and compassion. And I hear you. I hear the objections. I feel it too. I don't have what it takes to pour that kind of energy out. I, I, I really have limited reserves of love in that way. I'm with you. Yeah, I'm with you. That's step one. Just admit it, right? The next step is to say this. Say it with me. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill me, use me, and make your name 